wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. Welcome into the Locked On Royals podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Stiles, and you can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Royals. This is the first full week of the Locked On Royals podcast. We had our first full episode last week. This week, we'll have a show Monday Wednesday and Friday for your commute home. But once the season starts, we will be every single day, Monday through Friday in the offseason, taking it easy, easing into this thing with three shows a week. In the in the on season, of course, we're going to do it every single day. On today's show, we're going to look back at the last decade for the Kansas City Royals. How are the, how did things transpire in that last decade? Who made the all-decade team and hand out a few all-decade awards. You know, in the 2010s, the Royals were a team on the rise for most of it. They were a team in which you could see the path to success. Last decade started out much like this one has. A bad baseball team, but you could see the progress there. You could see what the vision was. You could see the young talent they were getting into their farm system. And at one point in the decade, they had the best farm system in all of baseball for about three years. And that happened quickly after the turn of the decade. If you look at where we're at right now as we start 2020, the Royals have a nice foundation. A ton of good arms in their farm system. Some nice position players. Now, it's not it's not elite yet. There, there's no doubt about that. It's not an elite farm system yet. But they're at about the same pace as they were in 2010. Can Dayton Moore duplicate that all-time farm system? You can ask a ton of baseball scouts and people who cover the minor leagues. That Royals farm system, with the names you know, Salvador Perez, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, with the names you know, that, that farm system, Will Myers was one of the greatest of all time. Now, that's not going to be duplicated in this next decade. But piling prospects is how the Royals and small market teams have to win. And they did just that last decade. They were bad at the start, but you could see it. Then they they were getting closer. 2013, the, the team was coming together. The guys were in the majors. They weren't quite at the playoff level, but they were no longer a terrible baseball team. And then, of course, in 2014, they break through into the playoffs and make a magical World Series run. In 2015, they go wire-to-wire winning the division, which is extremely hard to do in baseball, to go wire-to-wire as the best team in your division, and then go on to win the World Series. In 2016, a bit of a drop back, and then we know how the, the decade finished up the last couple years. So all in all, it's one of the best decades in Royals history for most fans. Now, of course, if you were around for the George Brett days, Frank White, you know, Cookie Rojas, I mean, all the guys that you know, Brett Saberhagen, David Cohn, if you were around for that for that era, 
then of course you're going to say that that era is a lot better. But for people like me, who in their lifetime outside of 2014 and 15 have only known losing, this was great last decade. So let's take a look back at that with the all-decade team. And again, the Royals won a World Series and won another AL pennant, so most of these positions are a lock, and there's no competition. That's what happens when you win. Your positions are pretty well solidified. There's a few positions up for grabs, though. Of course, let's start behind the plate with Salvador Perez. No one can dispute this. Salvador Perez, for a stretch in this last decade, was the best catcher in baseball. You can say what you want, as I have last episode, about his pitch framing and some of the advanced statistics in terms of fielding not being on his side. But that arm strength, that durability, and that bat made him one of, if not the best catchers, in all of baseball for a period last decade. So, of course, he's going to be on the Royals All-Decade team. He's going to have his number retired. He's going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. There's just no debate about the catcher. I don't even know who you would have at second at that catcher spot. First base, Eric Hosmer. Again, another position in which you don't have much debate. Eric Hosmer was the face of that historic farm system. He was the face of that historic run for the Royals. Eric Hosmer Day is a day that most Royals fans will not soon forget. The day he came up to the big leagues was a huge deal. And then here we go at second base. Of course, we can go on about Eric Hosmer if you want to. I mean, guy's a gold glove winner, one of the best fieldings at first baseman. Again, another guy who the eye test tells you he's a pretty good fielding first baseman. The advanced stats don't really agree with that. Interesting to note on him, his bat was a little bit streaky. Some, you know, he had a, had a huge problem grounding out the second base and launch angle. Another guy who, again, advanced sabermetrics do not like. But another guy who's going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. Another guy who's probably going to have his jersey retired. Eric Hosmer's your first baseman. Second base, we get to our first debate. This is a position that throughout this entire decade, this last decade, has been controversial in the sense of for most of the decade you haven't had a good second baseman for most of the decade you've been having a black hole at second base Omar Infante guys like that this position comes down to Whit Merrifield and Ben Zobrist of course Zobrist's time here was short and I cannot stress that enough it was short but the impact he made I don't think that they win the World Series without Ben Zobrist. I think that was the trade, more so than the Johnny Cueto trade, that got them over the hump. What he did, how versatile he was, how good of a player he was, I think that's the reason they won the World Series. Now you flip over to Whit Merrifield, a guy who a lot of Royals fans who, again, studied the farm system, were calling for him to come up two years before they actually called him up. They thought they waited too long to get Whit Merrifield up there. He was kind of in a logjam, kind of overlooked as a guy. He wasn't registering on the Baseball America and whatever other prospect sites you look at. He wasn't really registering there, but he you could see he was a good player. And then, of course, he gets to the big leagues. He's an all-star. He's one of the best second basemen in baseball. Not the very best, but one of the best in that top five range. All the accomplishments that he's he's had in Kansas City, 
how versatile he is. I'm going to have to give the nod here to Whit Merrifield due to his longevity. But we'll talk about Ben Zobris again in a little bit. At shortstop, Alcides Escobar, another guy that's indisputable. I guess Mondesi would be a guy who could challenge him a little bit. But Mondesi just couldn't stay healthy. If Mondesi would have stayed healthy the latter part of that decade, I think there would have been a shot because outside of the first pitch swings and you know all, all the goofy stuff with leadoff magic from Alcides Escobar, some of the nice plays he made, a lot of the good defensive plays Alcides Escobar made were a result of him being in bad position, taking a bad first step, but he was able to recover to his credit. Alcides Escobar is a little bit of a polarizing player because a lot of people give him too much credit, and some people give him not enough credit. The, the line is somewhere in the middle. He was not this elite player ever. He was never really a good player. He was always an above-average player. Now, on the same token, he was never as bad as people thought he was, as awful as, as people thought he was until maybe the, the last year of his career in Kansas City. But sometimes he was below average. I mean, he was always teetering between above average and below average. And and then, you know, you get these fans who are on either side of the spectrum of good, elite, and bad, and awful. Aziz Escobar, polarizing player. I fall more on he was an, an average ball player. I mean, he wasn't, I wouldn't think, above replacement level player. He was always one of the worst hitters in baseball. Again, I think the fielding aspect of him was a little bit overhyped because a lot of that's a lot of the time he put himself in bad positions to make plays. I would fall into at best this decade he was an average player. Most of the decade I think he was a below average player. He had a magical postseason run, which you can't take that away from him. Again, the first pitch swings, the you know ALCS MVPs. You can't take that away. It's it's on his resume. But as an, as an entire body of work this decade, I think Alcides Escobar was given a little bit too much credit. But, but then again, who else are you going to replace him with at shortstop? I think Alcides Escobar is your guy. Now, of this World Series team, I think he's a guy that won't get his jersey retired. I think, of course, he'll be on the Hall of Fame. The Royals Hall of Fame, that is. I don't think he gets his jersey retired, though. Third base, another guy that's kind of irrefutable is Mike Moustakis. Now, this was a guy who in 2014, before the playoffs, got sent down. I watched him play in Oklahoma City a couple months before the the postseason, before he started turning it around and, and, and finding his swing in the postseason, which is something that is very rare and doesn't really get talked about enough. He was struggling in AAA a month before the postseason. He was throwing his, his helmet down. He was throwing his bat at the dugout in AAA right before the postseason. And then all of a sudden, to have the postseason he did in 2014 was remarkable. His entire body of work, a guy who's flashed the leather you know, at the hot corner very well, a good ball player. Again, not elite, but a good ball player and the best third baseman the Royals had last decade. And controlled the third base position for most of that decade. In left field, of course, Alex Gordon. Failed third baseman, we know the story. Elite defender, one of the best I've ever seen. And then again, I wasn't obviously around by my diatribe at the start of this podcast for Frank, you know, for Frank and George Brett and all those guys. One of the best fielders I've ever seen play the game. I think that he is what people think 
Kevin Kiermeyer is. Again, I think Kevin Kiermeyer is much like I'll see Escobar in the sense of Kiermeyer will make a bad first step, will make a bad read on the baseball, will make a bad jump, will be out of position, and then he'll have some heroic diving catch and people applaud it. And I think we're getting smarter with that as baseball fans due to the fact that we have, you know, the the uh, the route uh, efficiency stat and, and all those things that go into that. But nonetheless, I think that Alex Gordon is who we think Kevin Kiermaier is with a better bat. I mean, Kiermaier is terrible at the plate. Not to say Alex Gordon is a you know, silver slugger out there, but I think he's a better overall player than Kevin Kiermaier. And Kevin Kiermaier gets more attention, more love, surprisingly, playing in Tampa Bay than I think Alex Gordon does. And not to say that Alex Gordon's been snubbed for a lot of gold gloves. He hasn't. But just nationally and in terms of attention, Alex Gordon, one of the best left fielders of the decade. In center field, I have Lorenzo Cain. I think that he, of all these guys, is the best player. I think that of the if you take the entire body of work from the Royals all-decade team, Salvador Perez, Eric Cosmer, Whit Merrifield, Ben Zobrist, Mike Moustakis, Alex Gordon. I think Lorenzo Cain is the very best baseball player on this list. Of course, he's shown it in Milwaukee since, since signing over there. Lorenzo Cain is awesome. I mean, you can't say enough about his defensive play and also what he could provide with the bat. And on the base paths, he could do it all. He was an all-around baseball player for the Royals, and he's gotten somehow even better with the Brewers. So now here we go again in right field with Ben Zobrist. Right field, much like second base, is a position in which the Royals have found themselves with interchangeable pieces this decade and with a black hole this decade. You've been dreading the right field spot if you're a Royals fan. You have Nori Aoki. You have Alex Rios. They tried Jorge Soler in right. Didn't work. And then, of course, Ben Zobrist played a little bit of outfield, and he's a guy who can move around the diamond. So here's what I'm going to say here. If I was constructing the best possible lineup for the decade, the best possible lineup, I'd pick Ben Zobrist here. I think you put him in right field, and you you lead off, you know, not lead off, but, you know, you have it at catcher, Salvador Perez, Eric Hosmer, Whit Merrifield, Alcides Escobar, Mike Moustakas, uh, Alex Gordon and Lorenzo Cain, plus Ben Zobrist. I mean, that's that's the World Series team almost, with the exception of Whit Merrifield, of course. I think that to make the best possible lineup, you put Zobrist in there, but if you're going to stick to the primary position of right field in Kansas City, most of the time Zobrist was at second base, you'd have to either go with Aoki, Rios, or Soler, and due to his performance last year, I'll go with Jorge Soler, so Soler here. I think that, of course, he struggled early on in that Wade Davis trade and people freaked out. Now look where Wade Davis is at. No no disrespect to his career, but Wade Davis has fallen off a cliff since the trade. And people freaked out when Soler was not good that first year. Last year, he made up for it. Last year, he had a, a phenomenal season at the plate. He did what you need designated hitters to do nowadays, and that's hit the baseball far. I mean, that's pretty much it. Speaking of the DH spot, let's go over to either Billy Butler or Kendrys Morales. Now, who do I think is the better player of these two when they were in a Royals uniform? Longevity, of course, Billy Butler. 
best season, I think, was Kendrys Morales. Now, I saw Billy Butler's entire career in Kansas City. I loved Billy Butler as a first baseman slash DH that could stand to lose a few pounds. Me and Billy Butler had a lot in common. Billy Butler had the rally sauce. He was a fun you know, player to watch in Kansas City. He was a fun locker room guy, which that changed a little bit throughout his career in Oakland. You hear about him getting in fights there and things like that. But in Kansas City, that stuff never really happened. And he was always fun whenever things would happen, like a walk-off or things like that. But again, I think Kendrick Morales, if you're picking one season, I think that 2015 season was magical for everybody, especially Kendrick Morales. Every time you needed him to come through, he did. Now, that's not fair to Billy Butler because in 2014, he was already in the decline. So whenever they finally made that playoff run, he was still good, but he was not performing at the level that a younger Billy Butler would have. But for this position, I'm not going to take just one sample, one season sample size. I'm going to go with the longevity here. Billy Butler was the best player in a lot of Royals teams this last decade. Billy Butler deserves this spot. Billy Butler is going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. I don't think Kendrick Morales will. I think Kendrick Morales will have a, a section of the Royals Hall of Fame due to the fact he was on that World Series team. He'll have some memorabilia in the Royals Hall of Fame. I think Billy Butler will truly be a Royals Hall of Famer. I'm going to put him at DH. Now, I'm going to pick one starting pitcher. I'm not going to do a whole rotation. We're already at 17 minutes here. You've, I'm going to pick from James Shields, Rodano Ventura, and Jason Vargas. And, and some of you might cringe at the fact that I said Jason Vargas. But what he brought to the Kansas City Royals. Now forget about his stint in Philadelphia, which he was terrible last year. And, and you know, with the Mets, he was terrible. What he brought to the Royals, though, was a veteran guy who helped James Shields mentor the staff. And who took the ball every fifth day. Ate up innings for your bullpen. Didn't get blown out. Didn't blow a game. Hardly ever. Kept your offense in it. Ate up some innings. And turned it over to your three-headed monster in the bullpen. Perfectly done. I think he deserves a lot more credit than what he's been getting. Yerdan Ventura, again, if I'm picking on upside, if I'm picking on the best possible game... I'm going to go with Ventura. I mean, his stuff was electric. His stuff was incredible. Obviously, a a tragedy, a tragic ending to his life and his career. And, you know, the, most of the players who play with him still aren't over it. And, and I don't blame them. You know, the biggest what if, I think, in Royals baseball history is not Alex Gordon. It's what if Ventura is here today. He was finally turning it around in his career. He looked like he was going to get more mature. And, and things were going right for him. And then, of course, the tragedy that happened to him in his home country. But ultimately, despite the leg kick, despite the electric stuff, despite the energy, despite the highlight reel of Yordana Ventura, despite the upside of Yordana Ventura, I'm going to go with James Shields here. That's my pick for starters, James Shields. I think that he was the big we talked about what Vargas did for the staff. He was the biggest reason the Royals were able to make that next step, I think. Personally, I think James Shields was the biggest reason that, that this pitching staff 
was able to piecework themselves together because despite throwing out Jeremy Guthrie, despite throwing out guys like that, you knew you had James Shields every fifth day. And much like Vargas, he wouldn't lose you a game. Now, he might not win you very many games in the sense of he goes out there and is just dominant and shuts down opponents and is lights out. He may not do that. But I do think that Shields deserves a lot of credit for, again, being that solid force and a better solid force than Jason Vargas. I'm going to go with James Shields. Now, again, I'm going to pick one closing pitcher. Of course, it would be easy to say reliever and then just pick all of the great relievers the Royals had over their two seasons of winning. But I feel like that's a little bit cheap. I feel like that this has to stir up some debate and some interaction with you guys. Again, on Twitter, you can find me at Ryland underscore Styles and at Lockdown Royals to give me your all-decade team. At the closing position, you have Wade Davis, you have Greg Holland, and I'm, I'm going to throw in Kelvin Herrera, even though he didn't close games for the Royals that often. This is just a, a best reliever position, not really a closer position. But of all these names, you had Greg Holland, who had the the iconic windup. You can envision it in your head right now, the double tap in the glove and then the throw. You had Kelvin Herrera, who could throw a ball harder than any other Royals pitcher in the history of their franchise. Now that's not quite factual, I don't think. That's something I just came up with in my head right now. Because watching him at Kauffman Stadium, watching him on TV, it felt like, wow, I've never seen that in a Royals uniform. Now, I'm sure that if you really dig through BaseballSavant.com and, and looked at everyone's you know, pitch speeds, you could find somebody who registered a faster pitch than Herrera, but I don't think it would be that easy. I think that there's a good shot that that, say, that that prediction is true, that Herrera's thrown the ball harder than any Royals pitcher ever. Again, if you were around for the George Brett days and whatnot, let me know if you, if you saw someone throw it harder than that. I obviously was not. But again, despite... What Greg Holland could do in shutting down a team, despite what Herrera could do. Wade Davis was the only guy I think that you looked at and thought he was otherworldly. You thought he was not human. You thought he was a robot. Now when you turn it over to Herrera in the 7th, and, Ho- and, and Davis in the 8th, and Holland in the ninth, you thought the game was over in the 7th. Once you get to HDH, you thought the game was over, for good reason. And the opponents did too. So I'm not knocking Herrera or Holland. They were great. I think there's a good argument that this is the best bullpen baseball has ever seen. You can throw out the the Reds from, from decades ago, but I think there's a good argument that the Royals are right up there. If not the best. So this is in no way a knock on those two guys. But if you have to pick one, I never got the same feeling with Holland and Herrera that I got with Wade Davis. That he was automatic, don't even worry about it, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat, not because you think he's going to blow the game, but because you're wondering to yourself, how is he going to do it this time? How is he going to get out of this high leverage situation this time? Because you know he's going to get out of it, but how? What's it going to look like? He was so fun to watch, and he had a run there where he was the best reliever in baseball. Holland and Herrera never did. Now, they were good. They were on the best reliever list, but they were never the best 
Wade Davis, I think, was the best reliever in baseball for a stretch of time. Right up there with Andrew Miller and guys like that. So, again, my team is Salvador Perez, Eric Cosmer, Whit Merrifield, Alcides Escobar, Mike Moustakas, Alex Gordon, Lorenzo Cain, Jorge Soler, at DH you have Billy Butler, starting pitcher James Shields, closer Wade Davis. Now let's talk about Decade Awards. And these are only going to be two. It's going to be real quick. We're going to wrap up the show here. Number one is going to be the moment of the decade. Now here's who's in contention for the moment of the decade. The Mad Dash home. Of course, you know what that is. Lucas Duda botching the throw. Hosmer dashing home on a ground ball to third base in the World Series. The Wild Astros comeback. That, of course, Correa misplays a ball and... And Ryan Lefevre has that amazing historic line, you know, that Alex Correa, in the blink of an eye, goes from hero to goat. I mean, just chills every time you think about that that series. The wild card game, of course, against the A's. You can close your eyes right now, and whenever I say wild game, you can picture exactly the way that Perez looks as he hits the ball and it curves around third base. And then I'm throwing on here the Johnny Gomes speech. And and I think that that encapsulates the entire decade. You think about what that speech was. It was at a parade, which was celebrating the World Series. So this moment here includes the fact that they won a World Series. Again, it was at the parade. So it, it also takes in the parade itself, which, if you remember, was the talk of the town for a year, an entire calendar year, how many people were there? Look at these pictures of all the blue, you know, across the entire Union Station. The numbers that got thrown out there for attendance were crazy. And judging by the pictures, it looked like it was true. People you didn't, people that didn't even know what a ball on a strike was, were enamored with the 2015-2014 Royals. People who haven't watched a baseball game in their entire life couldn't change the channel. They were watching the Kansas City Royals. It was a great time period, and that parade was the icing on top. And then, of course, the Johnny Gomes speech, which I'm ashamed to admit that I know every single word to the Johnny Gomes speech. Of course, if, you, if you're not really recalling it right now, it was the speech that you know he just kept listing off all the awards. Rookie of the Year, not on our team. MVP, not on our team. But we still beat them. We beat every single one of them. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know the speech. That wasn't exactly word for word, but I can do it if you want me to. On the next episode, I can I can just say the entire Johnny Gomes speech. But I think that's the moment of the decade because of what all it encompasses. Now, the picture of the decade, if you were going to just take a picture and put it on your wall, you know, a painting of a picture and put it on the wall, is the Mad Dash home. I think that... The fans in the background, Hosmer sliding in, the the Mets looking distraught. I think that's the picture of the decade. But again, the parade has a good argument. The parade is a really good argument. And real quick, I'm sure most of you are Chiefs fans. I also host the Chiefs podcast, the Arrowhead Attic podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast, Arrowhead Attic podcast. And doing this list of the decade for the Royals really made me think, Again, I talked about the parade and the Johnny Gomes speech. So whenever I was thinking of that, it made me think, what would happen if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl? What would happen? 
Like, how many people would be at that parade? If the Royals made Union Station and the surrounding areas look like that, what would the Chiefs look like? It, it'll be fun to watch this playoff run. Of course, again, if you want more Chiefs taking, either follow me on Twitter or go listen to the Arrowhead Attic podcast. So, again, throughout the offseason, we'll have shows Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wednesday will be our next show, and on that show, I'll be discussing the Chicago White Sox and all the moves that they have made this offseason and how they've done their rebuild to a T. They've done it perfectly. And I'll also be telling you what the ceiling is for this Kansas City Royals baseball team as we head into spring training, Fan Fest spring training coming up quickly. I'll tell you what the ceiling is, the absolute best case scenario for your Kansas City Royals in 2020. So again, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And the show on Twitter at Lockdown Royals. Subscribe and review to the podcast wherever it is you can hear your podcast. I prefer Apple Podcasts. So if you want to go over there and give a five-star review, that'd be greatly appreciated. But anywhere you get your podcast from, go ahead and subscribe and review the show there. So be good and be good to one another, and we'll see you on Wednesday. <laughs>